Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. Who is he that says that the children of God will not be saved? Who is he that says that the children of God, the elect of God, the bride of Christ will not be delivered? Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Today we will hear the conclusion of the message, God Save the King, from Psalm 20. We will pick up with our responsibility to pray for our leaders and conclude with the messianic application to our true King, King Jesus Christ. We're not always going to have righteous rulers. And if you'll turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to see what kind of prayer we ought to be doing all of the time. Remember, this Psalm 20 is about praying for the leader so that God will deliver them in turn. When Paul wrote this to Timothy, I believe he's in prison. And I believe the fellow that put him there was a man named Nero. And are you listening to me? Within two years, Paul lost his head. I'm not talking about he went crazy. I'm talking about Nero killed him. And he knew it was going to happen. He had told people that he was going there and he was going to die. But notice what I want you to see that he's telling Timothy, a preacher, which, by the way, if a preacher tells another preacher something, he's expecting that preacher to go tell other people. So this is not just a message for Timothy. This is a message from God through Paul, through Timothy, to me, to you. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications and prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Would you agree that Psalm 20 was a prayer of supplication being made for a king? A king they liked. We use the term Caesar. But no doubt that meant king. Paul is saying, pray for Nero. What? Pray for the Roman provincial governors. What? Pray for those guys that want to kill you. We don't want to. It's not a matter of what we want. It's a matter of what it is that we are to be praying for when we do. That. That's the next word. For kings and for all that are in authority, that. Here is the content of our prayer of supplication. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 
Paul didn't say to pray that prayer that's on a lot of bumper stickers, that their rule be short and somebody else take up their position. Paul said, pray so that you can keep worshiping God freely. Period. Paul said, the first and foremost focus in your prayers, particularly when it comes to the leaders of your country, the leaders of your state, the leaders of your community, the leaders of your family, is so that you can continue to worship God. Covenant God. The focus in Psalm 20 is a focus on God's kingdom and the preservation of it and the continued freedom of it. So the content of our prayers today for the leaders of the United States of America and for Georgia and for each one of our communities is that this church can continue to worship freely. Because if we can do that, then the kingdom of Christ can still be visible to us. The kingdom of Christ is going to spread. Jesus said that. It's like to put a seed in the ground and the plant grows. It's going to spread. But I'd kind of like to be part of it. <laughs> and so we pray, Lord, let that be where I live. Let that be in my community, in my home. Let it be that a soldier never darkens that door. Let it be that not another supposed group calling itself Christian calls us out of this house to persecute us. So Bryce, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Olcon Valley whales. Where our forefathers, every single one of our preachers in Wales was called into a valley. And when they would not submit the children of their congregations to be dipped, no, sprinkled, whatever you want to call it, to receive a false baptism, they called in a horde army from across the hill and slaughtered them all. So well, that's not God preserving his kingdom, really? Then how are we sitting in a primitive Baptist church today if every single one of our elders was killed? And we came from Wales. God preserved his kingdom. We don't need to make deals with civil government. Let me state that again. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't need to make a deal with the civil government. It stands on its own because it is the manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And so what we see in this is in the historical context of this prayer. It was God preserve your nation, your kingdom. And so we apply it the same way today. Are we allowed to pray for the United States of America? Yes, we are. But I think the large content of that prayer is that it's the Lord's people within it repent and that we repent ourselves. But the kingdom that we should be focusing on is the kingdom of Christ. That it continue. 
And if the Lord be blessed by his church being the salt of the earth and the light of the world here in the United States of America, we can still remain free. I'm hoping for that. I thought September 11th, 2001 would be a day that would wake America up. That next Sunday, the church houses were full. By two Sundays later, there were less people in them than there were before. And it's dwindled since. Don't put your trust in America. Continue to pray, but continue to pray first of all for God's kingdom. And if God preserve his kingdom, he can preserve a nation. He has done that. I think he gave us this nation so that his church could come over here and worship in peace. I really do. But if this nation doesn't want its, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to worship in peace, then this nation needs to go too. Because the kingdom of Christ comes first. I don't think I'm unpatriotic. I, my, my blood runs red, white, and blue. It does. But our founding fathers didn't worship the concept of America. Even old Thomas Jefferson, who they said wasn't a Christian, which, by the way, he went to church twice a Sunday. Once in the House of Representatives, yes. And once in the Department of the Treasury, yes. They had church and government buildings. That supposed non-Christian went to church twice as much as you and I do, which means probably about a hundred times as much as most supposed Christians do today. He was more Christian than the atheists of today. <laughs> because he saw. Now he had some messed up views of some things, but don't we all at times? But he was in a house of worship, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. People say, well, he never believed that. Well, I can tell you, I held a letter in my hand written by Thomas Jefferson. His penmanship, I held it in my hand. And below his signature, it said, in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're going to tell me Thomas Jefferson didn't believe that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior? He never declared or wrote anything he didn't believe. Our founding fathers didn't worship this nation. They worshiped the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ, and prayed that the Lord would give them a nation that they could worship in freely like that. Amen. Do you see the common factors in this? And the, the common factor of what the children of Israel were doing and what we do as a nation. What's the, the, the link between the two? The kingdom of God. By the way, Almost every single commentator and most of the Jewish commentators call this a messianic psalm. You know what that means? They said it points toward the Messiah. What? Yes. Because it is the kingdom of God that is the focus in both of those examples and it's the kingdom of God that is our example today. Here's where things get a little strange. But bear with me for a moment. Remember, this is that the king is praying 
before the biggest battle and biggest hardship he will ever face. And the nation is praying that God hear the prayers of the king and that the king be delivered so they be delivered as well. Stay with me. The night before Jesus went on trial, or the night that Jesus went on trial, he pulled aside three fellows, didn't he? Peter, James, and John. He said, I want you fellows to come out here with me. He said, I want you to stand here. And I want you to watch with me. And I want you to pray with me. He said, I'm going to go over there a little yonder. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ poured out his heart in prayer to his Father. And he comes back and he finds the disciples. He said, couldn't you stay awake for a little while? He says, watch, pray that you enter not into temptation. They did, by the way. They got scared. Why? Because they fell asleep. What is my intent? Are you with me? When David, excuse me, when Jesus, the son of David, went in that garden to pray, he told Peter, James, and John, pray Psalm 20. And they didn't do it. And what was the result? When the soldiers come into the garden, Peter, James, and John are afraid. If they had prayed this prayer. Jesus was praying this. Remember the, the, the thing I told you to remember. The, the burnt sacrifice. The all night long. Until it's completely consumed. Can you not see Jesus Christ in that? That his entire life was completely consumed for you. Every heartbeat. He lived in sacrifice for you. So much so that he's there in the garden and the picture is that his sweat was as great drops of blood. He didn't bleed there. But the mourning and the, and the, the, the heartache was so strong that was coming on the body of a man that he wept sore like that. And he said, let this cup pass. I've heard a lot of debate on that. I'm not going to debate it this morning. I'm going to look at some simple facts. Jesus had faced man. Jesus had faced Satan himself. But Jesus was about to face the eternal judgment of God for you. He knew what was coming. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Turn me over to the book of Hebrews for just a second. Before I read this to you, or you read it with me, I don't want you to think for a second that our Lord and Savior was timid or a chicken. But I want you to understand that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ suffered as a man. 
like no man had ever suffered. He suffered as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. Hebrews chapter 5. In the description of Jesus Christ being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me, Melchizedek's called by another name too, isn't he? Anybody remember what it was? Wasn't he a king? So you have a king and a priest together. Who's that pointing at? (laughs) So when this is talking about the office of a high priest, it's that is the king told the high priest to offer the perfect offering, which is what? The king. Verse 6 says, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. I don't want to try to explain that away. But the Son of God submitted himself to the almighty power of Jehovah. And great reverence, great fear, whatever you want to call it, Jesus knew what he was going to face. So that's not too much for him, really. Then why I went on the cross did the Son of Man, the Son of God, say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that was coming, and it hurt. And so he's making prayers and supplications, and oh, by the way, the burnt offering had happened. The last Passover meal was done. The true Passover was about to go to the cross. This is that point of the Selah, where the church, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples should have been praying. Jesus asked them to, they didn't. (laughs) And so they had even greater fear. Verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He suffered some things and learned what it meant to fear the wrath of God. Learned what it meant to suffer eternal damnation that was due to you and me. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Call of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was making that prayer in the garden. Disciples should have been shouting, God save the king. (laughs) But they didn't. And so when the soldiers came, there was confusion, there was fear, and they scattered. Now, let me make sure you understand something. We're on the other side of that. We don't pray 
God hear the prayers of our king so that when he goes and dies for us, it will be a success. Why? Because he's already done it. Can I tell you, that's what the sinner's prayer that we're supposedly told to pray does is it asked Jesus Christ to die for us again? Folks, that's blasphemy. <laughs> he died. It's done. He died for those disciples, whether they prayed for it or not. Thanks be to God. Because we'd probably be just as weak as they were. And so what is it that we do? What we need to realize is that when it says he was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right? Forever means forever, not just there on the cross. Are you with me? Not just there on the cross. But after he rose from the grave, he's still a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he's still the king of kings and the lord of lords. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, because this is awesome. So what is it that we're praying now? If you ever wanted to know why we pray in the name of Jesus, I'm about to give it to you right here. Romans chapter 8. I'll start in 33 because that's one of our favorite verses. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. That sounds like that victory statement from Psalm 20, doesn't it? We know that when you're saved, we'll be saved. And by the way, was Jesus saved from death? Some folks will say, no, he wasn't because he died. But he didn't stay dead, folks. So here's a little aside sermon for you. When you pray that you be saved from something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to happen to you. It means it's not the end of the story. The children of Israel had to be risen, right, in order to stand. It may be that you're down for a time, but you shall rise. If it's God that justifieth, notice this. I love this. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that says that the children of God will not be saved? Who is he that says that the children of God, the elect of God, the bride of Christ, will not be delivered? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, catch this, who also what? Maketh intercession for us. Why does it say also? It says also because we don't pray right. And so the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us in our prayers. But there's something even greater, and that is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the priest after the order of Melchizedek is sat down on the right hand of Jehovah himself making intercessory prayer for us. And so we pray, God, hear the prayer of my Savior. That's why you pray in the name of Jesus. Because that's the only way your prayer gets to the king. That's the only way your prayer gets to God. is through that great high priest.
Now, does anybody have a problem with God save the king? <laughs> Talking about King Jesus, isn't it? Jesus wanted to hear his disciples pray, God save the king, didn't he? Why wouldn't he want to hear it today? He is saved from death, isn't he? He is delivered from death. And by that, we have gained a wondrous victory. We've been made more than conquerors through him that loved us. So when we're saying, God save the king, are we praying about something that we hope will happen? Or are we declaring God has saved our king? Let it be that we understand that he is continually there making intercession for us. That we continually point back to the covenant that God made before the foundation of the world. Don't pray for deliverance on your job because you're the best worker there. Oh, by the way, if you're self-employed, you're the best worker and the worst worker. So that takes care of that. Pray that you be delivered because you're one of the elect sons of God. And you were pray, placed in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And God made a covenant with his son to deliver you. To uphold you and to help you and to guide you and to strengthen you. And so that while you're here on earth, you can do what? You can be a benefit to the kingdom of God. You are saved to do good. We like Ephesians 2.8. Read Ephesians 2.10. as the reason God did it while you're still alive. He could have waited until you're on your deathbed. But he did it while you're alive because you got some work to do. And that is pro to pray for the prosperity of his kingdom. Now, this psalm is written in type and shadow. So not everything folds over. Not the least of which is, is there a doubt as to whether the battle is going to be a good one? Well, even within the psalm, it takes care of that. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. Saveth is third person present tense. That's all that ETH means. They even prayed back then the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the anointed of God. Can I tell you this plainly? While there in the garden, while in the halls of Pilate, while facing Herod, while being beaten, while having his back ripped open, having a crown of thorns placed upon his head, having reeds beating him on the head and on the back, while going down that road, while having his hands and his feet nailed to a cross and raised up there and spat upon and mocked, there was never a doubt that he would be saved from death. But we don't always see that, do we? We doubt, we have fears. Well, how does the Bible tell us to deal with doubt and fear? Get over it? Persevere? Use more faith? 
Fear thou not, for I am with thee. I am thy God. I will never forsake thee. So we don't have to be sitting at the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane watching our Savior suffer. We don't have to see him suffering on a cross because it's done. The salvation of our King is complete. He rose from the dead. But when we fall asleep and we don't watch and pray, what did Jesus tell? Peter, James, and John was the result. You'll fall into temptation. That sounds like doubt and fear, doesn't it? God save the king in my mind. That's the prayer. Let me see him sitting on your right hand. Let me see that you have fulfilled your covenant in him. And know of a surety that you will fulfill it in me. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.